Our scripture reading today is Daniel 1, 3 through 5. Then the king ordered Azbazaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Our second reading is Hebrews 11.6. And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. We ask God to bless these words to our hearts and minds. Well, good morning. It's going to be a nicer day today. I'm so glad. So here's a story from a good book we know, a story about a miracle that happened long ago. Now, that's a true story that is recounted in the book of Daniel, chapter 3. I feel this is an amazing story about faith and choice. The king's name is Nebuchadnezzar. I can pronounce that one. And the three men are known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I can pronounce them. They lived in a place called Babylon, and the three men were Israelite captives of the king but they were very trustworthy and had risen to important jobs. Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego were very young. Theologians today think that they were probably between the ages of 15 and 20. So keep that in mind as we go through this. What had happened is the Babylonians, Nebuchadnezzar, had kidnapped all of the young people of the Hebrews in Jerusalem taken them to Babylon to indoctrinate them in their gods and in their way to try to erase the Jewish heritage. Now, the song tells us that the king made a huge statue of gold. It stood 90 feet high. That's pretty tall. King Nebuchadnezzar then made an announcement. People of all languages, when you hear music, you must bow down and worship the statue because I said so. Whoever does not obey and worship the statue will be immediately thrown into a fiery furnace. The problem with this is God doesn't want us to worship anything or anyone other than him. Our three friends, being Jewish, knew and believed this and must have been concerned about bowing down to that golden image. Well, the next time the music's the music played, everyone stopped what they were doing and they bowed down to worship the idol. Everyone, that is, except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Some of the king's workers saw that they would not bow down to the image, so they ran to tell the king. And when King Nebuchadnezzar heard this news, he was ticked off. He immediately ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought to him to explain their actions. So these young men were brought before the king and before the king and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true that you will not bow down and worship the image of gold that I have made? 
Just in case there's a mistake, I'll give you another chance. When, now, when the music plays, you get ready and bow down to the image. But if you don't, this time you'll be thrown into the fiery furnace. Then what God will save you? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego looked at each other. And then they replied to King, O Nebuchadnezzar, we did not make a mistake, nor will we apologize for not bowing down. If we're thrown into the furnace, the God we worship will save us, and he will rescue us. But even if he doesn't, we want you to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Now, I think this is the most important words in the book of Daniel. But even if he doesn't. Do you see how amazing this is? We have these young men saying, our God will save us. But they go on to say, even if he doesn't. Even if God chooses not to intervene, your majesty can be sure we'll never serve your gods nor worship the gold statue you've set up. What a choice that they made. Even if. Now there's people who look at this story and say, why on earth would these boys risk everything for the sake of a silly old idol? I mean, why don't they just bow down for pity's sake? And I understand that concept. If I were facing that fiery furnace, I'm not sure I would have been that strong. I pray that I'm strong enough to face whatever crisis comes my way, and so far so good, but I haven't faced a death by fire. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could have just stayed cool and just bowed down, but they didn't. They made a different and a difficult choice. It seems that this was a God moment. There was a time when I believed God was setting them up. He was putting these boys in a position where they had to make a choice. And God does that a lot in Scripture, doesn't he? It sure appears that God isn't going to save them. They're thrown into the furnace, a furnace so hot that it actually killed the soldiers that threw them in. Nebuchadnezzar, oh, he's happy. This is great. We're going to burn up these three guys. He watches the fire happen, expecting the men to burn in agony. Yet in a minute, it says he jumped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there only three men thrown into the fire? They replied, oh, yes, king. Nebuchadnezzar said, well, look, I see four men walking around the fire, untied and unhurt. And the fourth looks like the Son of God. What a choice these men had to make. And yet what a reward. They were joined by who the theologians today believe was Jesus. And they walked out of the furnace without any burns. No hairs on their head burned. All their clothes fine and no smell of fire on them. It's a wonderful story about how God intervened for men of faith who made a difficult choice just like he'll do for us today. And that choice brought about their salvation, just like our choice today can do for us. Others in the Bible have made similar choices and shown their faith. Let's look at Abraham. He's a wealthy man with family, servants, herds, wealth. Yet when God told him to move to another land, one unknown to him, he went and he found the promised land. 
Although we like to look on Abraham as a man of great faith, if you sit down and read his story, which I encourage you to do, you'll find he's very human. He made a lot of really strange choices. But in the long run, he chose to obey God. When he was told to sacrifice his son Isaac, he chose to obey. It must have been hard beyond for him to be willing to do this, but he said okay and began the process. But because of his faith, God intervened and salvation was given to Isaac and through Abraham and Isaac to us. I've always found the story of Noah to be kind of fascinating. Here's a man living in a desert town, building a big, I mean a big boat, because he believed God spoke to him. Can you imagine what he went through with his neighbors and his family? Ah, that guy's lost his mind. What in the world is he building? It must have been pretty rough, but he made that choice to obey. And again, salvation came to him and his family, and ultimately to you and me because he had faith beyond our understanding. Then there's David. I like David. He's he's really something. It's so helpful to us today to know that God loves us, even if we aren't perfect, as David definitely wasn't perfect. He made some pretty bad mistakes. And yet he was known as a man after God's own heart. In spite of David's misbehavior, he was forgiven because of his faith. Look at a couple of his songs. Psalm 8-1. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name on all the earth. Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And of course, the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. A man of frightened faith is Jonah. This is actually a great story. So God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh to tell them of their sin. But Jonah was scared. The people of Nineveh were extremely sinful and liked to kill anyone who told them to behave. So Jonah ran in the opposite direction. It's a great story. Of course, we know that didn't work out very well for him, did it? Jonah was such a normal guy like you and me. And he let his fear get the best of him. However, once God has made his point, after Jonah was swallowed by the whale, he finally chose to obey him and went to Nineveh, where he preached God's word. There's so many others in the Old Testament that we can look at that challenges faith and faith in God held on to. But I want to go to the New Testament, too. The twelve apostles are held up as men of great faith. But when you really look at their stories, you'll find they're as fallible as you and I. They are great at showing their faith when things are going good. But just let something go wrong and they question and fear. Clear up until Jesus is resurrected after the crucifixion. Even after the, the, the resurrection, we have someone like Thomas who doubts and basically demands to see Jesus and his injuries before he can believe. Finally, when he sees Jesus, he believes, my Lord and my Savior. We think of John the Baptist. When Jesus came to him to be baptized, John 
immediately acknowledged who Jesus was, and he wasn't sure he should baptize the Son of God. Yet when he was in prison facing death, he had his disciples go to see Jesus to see if he really was the Son of God. And when reminded of the miracles and the scriptures, he believed. What comfort that must have been for him as he faced his death. And what comfort for us as we remember all that Jesus has done for us. And of course, we can look at Stephen, John, Paul. They made the choice to believe. And remember all of the apostles who were killed for their faith in the risen son. You know, I love the story of Peter. And over the years, if I do much preaching for it, you'll hear about good old Peter. He is such a guy. He goes through highs and he goes through lows, just like you and I do. But in the end, he accepts his faith. He gives a beautiful statement that I think we use in our confession of faith. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Peter goes on to become the rock upon which our churches today are built. It is amazing. There's an old Doritos commercial that has Eve attempting to share the forbidden fruit with Adam, and he rejects her offer, holding up a bag of Doritos and saying, I'm good. Now, I like that. Not only was it humorous, but it made a good point. The point is that Adam and Eve had a choice. They didn't have to eat of the fruit of the tree of, of good and evil. But God gave them the ability to make that choice if they wanted to. They had a choice. Granted, now, there, aren't, there weren't any Doritos to eat in the garden, but there were plenty of other really good things to eat. Genesis 2.9 says, The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for fruit. So it wasn't like they were hungry or that there wasn't anything as good that God had given them the gift of this beautiful garden filled with delicious fruit. But the garden and its fruit weren't the only gifts God supplied to them when he created. He also gave Adam and Eve something maybe that's more precious and valuable. He gave them the gift of freedom of choice. Adam and Eve could choose to do good, or they could choose to do evil. God didn't make them to be like dumb cattle out in the field. He didn't make them robots who were programmed to act and speak and think in a given way. God essentially made them equal partners in this new world he'd created. And in order to prepare them for that task, he trusted them with free will, a free will that made it possible for them to make good choices and bad. The Bible repeatedly stresses that God has given all of us free will. We have all been allowed by God to make free choice. But the Bible also repeatedly stresses the fact that God expects us to choose wisely. After the Israelites had taken the promised land, Joshua challenged them with these words. Choose this for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. In other words, make a choice, but be careful to make the right choice. All the people that I reminded you about earlier in this, they had choices to make, and in the end they chose God. The prophet Elijah stood before a disobedient nation and made a challenge. 
How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow follow him. In other words, make a choice. Make the right choice. Jesus taught us no, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. God gave Adam and Eve free will. They're allowed to make their own choices because, well, we're not allowed to have free will if we can't make our choices. So God gave you and me free will. He gave us the right to choose. But he repeatedly tells us there's a lot riding on this free will choice of ours. God told Adam and Eve, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat it, you will surely die. Of course, we know that wasn't a, a physical death at the time, but it was their spiritual death. It was the end. And as Israel was preparing to enter the promised land, God said, This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. Make a choice, but make the right one. Romans tells us the same thing. Now that you've been set free from sin and become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God repeatedly declares what you choose determines what will happen in your life. You can choose that which leads to life <coughs> or that which leads to death. So choose wisely. God has given us free will and he expects us to use that to make a choice. We can choose life or we can choose death. We can choose to accept God's free will of salvation or we can reject it. But God places that choice in our hands. Now the sad truth is the Bible says we've all made the wrong choice. The story is told of a doctor who's teaching a group of medical students. She points to an x-ray and says, as you can see, the patient limps because his left fibula and tibula are radically arched. Turning to one of the students, she asked, Michael, what would you do in a case like this? He thought for a moment and he said, well, I guess I'd limp too. He limped because there was weakness in him. And that weakness made him made it harder for him to walk the way he should. The Bible says we have a weakness in our bones too. It's a weakness that makes it harder for us to walk the way we ought to walk. The weakness doesn't make us sinners, but it makes it so we choose to sin. We have a weakness toward sin. So I want to return to that statement, we have free will. God has endowed us with the ability to choose to do right or wrong. And when we sin, it's our choice. Now, why is that important? Well, I think it's important because people... We don't tend to accept our sins as our own fault. We don't want to take ownership of what we've done. And until we take that ownership, we'll never deal with them. If we don't accept that our sins are our fault, we'll never feel the need to confess these sins and get right with God. We seem to like to blame somebody else for our poor choices. If it's somebody's fault, it can't be mine. When God confronted Eve about her sin, what'd she say? The serpent deceived me and I ate. 
It's not my fault. The devil made me do it. When God confronted Adam about his sin, do you remember what God said? The woman that you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. But it's not my fault. It's Eve's fault. But worse than that, God, it's your fault because you gave her to me. If you hadn't given me this person in my life, I wouldn't have made that choice. We try to hide our sins behind someone else's. You think I've ever done that? Oh, I would imagine. Have you? Probably. We're all prone to try to make somebody else's sin bigger than our own so that we can use their sin as a smokescreen to hide behind. In Alcoholics Anonymous, when a member stands to address the rest of those gathered, they'll say, hello, my name is Kathy Sorrell, and I'm an alcoholic. Over the years, they found that this is the best way to help all alcoholics deal with their addiction, because in order to master the addiction, they have to admit they have a problem, and it works. And that's the very basis of our relationship with God. Until we're willing to admit that we do sin, that we do fail, that we do fall short of the glory of God, we'll live in a world of self-deception. In order to master the grip of my poor choices, the sin I have in my life, I need to be willing to say that I'm a sinner. I'm Kathy, and I'm a sinner. I fall short of the glory of God, but I am saved by grace. I'm a sinner. I don't deserve God's God's forgiveness and love. One man said one time that the church is a society of sinners. The only society in the world which membership is based on the single qualification that the candidate shall be unworthy of membership. We're all sinners. We all make poor choices, but we're saved by grace. We're saved by God's love for us. Jesus came to earth. He was crucified and rose again, and through our choice of believing in him, we are given God's grace, and we certainly don't deserve it. Once upon a time, a man died and went to heaven. As he came near the pearly gates, he saw St. Peter standing at the door and confidently approached him, believing that he'd be able to enter the city with problem. To his amazement, he was told by Peter that there was a point system that he would be required to make in order to qualify for heaven. How many points do I need to get into heaven, he asked. Thirty thousand, said Peter. Thirty thousand? Well, I was a member of Broadway Christian Church. How much is that worth? About five points, came the answer. Five points? Then what about all the good things I've done for my neighbors and family? Surely that's worth quite a bit. According to our records, Peter at this point consulted his clipboard. That comes to about eight more points. Worried now, the man cried, that only makes 13 of the 30,000 required. Grace of God. That's the rest of the 30,000, replied Peter. We don't deserve to get into heaven. We're sinners who have fallen short of the glory of God. But we've been given a privilege, the privilege of choosing to belong to Jesus. Now remember a minute Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had a serious choice to make. Bow down to the idol or stay strong in faith. 
They found their salvation by their faith in God. What's your choice today? I know that most of you have made the commitment to Christ in the past, and that's a blessing. But if you haven't made that commitment to God, today's the day. Not only do you receive the the grace of salvation, but you'll find the joy even in life's trials. When we are facing the fiery furnace of our own, we can trust that God will save us. But even if he doesn't, he's there. He loves us. He will give us peace. He'll give us confidence in our choice. And we'll find love beyond understanding. Would you pray with me? We thank you this morning, dear Father, for the gift of your son, Jesus, and for all he has done for us. We joyfully believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit who leads us into right choices. Help us to listen to that still, quiet voice that can guide us into a closer relationship to you. Help guide us to honor you through our choices. In the name of your blessed Son, amen.